0: Today, I want to talk to you from this thought as we continue our series, Ideal Family, marriage lies, marriage lies, and I want us to look at John chapter 8 and verse 44, and this message is going to touch our singles, it's going to touch those who are engaged, and obviously it's going to minister deeply to those who are already married. John 8 and verse 44, I want to use this as a backdrop and kind of this, this, this thought line will weave throughout every point I want to share with you today. John 8, verse 44, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, Jesus says, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, talking about the devil, he speaks his native language, For he is a liar and the father of lies, our spiritual enemy, Satan, who now lives on the earth. The Bible says that he is a liar and the father of lies. That's what he does. Is he, he lies. That's how he gets people trapped in sin. That's how he kills, steals, and destroys. He, he lies. He, he, lie. he takes things and makes them, it t- takes a half-truth and, and gets you to believe something that's just half the truth and not the whole truth. He takes something and distorts it and twists it and deceives people into believing a lie. And one of the arenas where the devil has attacked the most is the family, is marriage. You know the statistics that 50, 60% of marriages end in divorce. And the enemy has called singles to believe a lie about marriage. He's called engaged couples to believe a lie about marriage. And, And so therefore, when they're dating and then they finally get married, they get married on false hope and lies, and they try to build a marriage on a faulty foundation, and some married couples even today are trying to build a lasting marriage on a faulty foundation because you believed the lie of the enemy. And today I want to expose those lies as I share with you four marriage lies. Number one is this, love is a feeling. First, lie the enemy would want you to believe that love is a feeling, and so many people buy into this lie. You know, you hear people say things like, I feel madly in love with you, I, I love how I feel when I'm with you, I, I get goosebumps when I'm around you. Have you heard this? I've never felt this way before, ever. I feel this way. Or the old song says, you make me feel, you make me feel, you make me feel like a natural woman. I can't sing, I know, I know. I know I can't sing. But you make me feel, you make me feel like a natural woman. And that's how people enter relationships. You make me feel. You make me feel. That's going to last 32 seconds, girl. Go ahead and get married. Just get married. That's a pretty song. It's it's inspiring. It'll give you goosebumps up and down your spine. But that's not love. Love is not a feeling. Love, listen, love will have feelings. Love will will have emotions. But love is not a feeling. Love is way deeper than that. It, it, It involves commitment. Can I tell you, love is an action. All of our note takers write that down. Love is an action. Let's look at biblical love today for for a quick moment. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8, it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Because love is not a feeling. It is something that's demonstrated through action. You can't say, I just feel in love. Well, let me see your action. And God demonstrates his own love for us. How? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He sent his son to die on the cross for us. That's love. Love is action. There's always a demonstration. John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he felt. No. No. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. There was action. Not, Not he felt. He gave, he acted, because love is not a feeling, it's an action. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16 says, this is how we know what love is. We feel it in our hearts. No, no, Scripture says this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, action, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. 1 John 3 and verse 18 says this, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech. You know, I love you. I've never felt this way before. He says, no, don't love like that. That's not love with speech and words and feelings and and emotions. It's, it's, It's way deeper than that. He says, but with actions and in truth, love is an action, not a feeling. You don't feel your way into acting. You act your way in the feeling. People say, well, I don't feel, I just don't, I don't feel like doing that. I don't feel like saying that. I don't feel like being there. You got got it all wrong. Love, you don't feel your way into acting. You act your way into feeling. You you act, you you do the right thing, you honor the word, you you act your way in the feeling because love is not a feeling. Now, love can encompass feelings. It will have feelings, but love is an action. What does love look like? Well, the Bible clearly talks about love and what it looks like and that love is an action. And those of us who've been in church a while, we, we, we know this portion of Scripture. If you're new to church, new to God, let me describe to you what love looks like. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. And you're going to find out that you don't hear a lot of feelings and natural well not. It's, not, it's not fair. You're not... You're not going to find it. He says, verse 4, love is patient. Are you patient with your spouse? Because that's love. Love is kind. You're kind to your family. I'm not kind. I'm not kind. But they know I love them. <laughs> oh. You got a wrong definition of love. You, you believed a lie. You think love is how you feel in your heart. Love is an action. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. In other words, love is not arrogant. It's not prideful. Love doesn't come home. You know who I am? I'm here. No, no, love's humble. I'm not boastful or proud. The Bible says, verse five, it is not rude. You rude to your spouse? They know I love them. No, 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 no. No, you think you bought the lie. You think love's a feeling. It's, it's not rude. It's not self seeking. Love doesn't say it's about me. It's about what I want. It's all about me. No, no. Love, love is an action and it is not self seeking. It is not easily angered. I mean, you no, know, I could preach right there a long time. Come on now. <laughs> the Bible says it keeps no record of wrongs, it keeps no record of wrongs. And oftentimes in marriage, you know, people get hysterical. I would ask how many of you are married to a spouse that gets hysterical from time to time or all the time. I would ask for your hand to raise to show, but don't do that because when you get in the car today, they'll get hysterical. (laughs) So don't do that. And sometimes in marriage, the problem is a person gets hysterical, and oftentimes the problem is the couple, they always get historical and they're always throwing up the past. Last month and last year, and you remember what you did when we got married 52 years ago? <laughs> and the Bible says, love it's an action. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. I mean, love is about truth and getting to the truth and living by truth. The Bible says it always protects. Do you protect your spouse? Do you protect your marriage? Do you protect your vows? Do you protect your family? Because love always protects. It always trusts. Are you building trust? Are you working on trust? Are you establishing the foundation of trust? Are you protecting the trust in your marriage? It always trusts. Love always hopes. Come on, love always believes it's going to get better. Come on, we, we, may not be, we, we may not be where we want to be today in our marriage, but it's going to get better because love hopes. And this year is going to be better than last year. And this week is going to be better than last week. It always hopes. And the Bible says love always perseveres. It's an action. It always perseveres. In other words, we're going to make it. We're gonna stick this thing through and stick it out. We're not quitting. We're not giving up. Divorce is not an option. I've told Tiffany, baby, if you move back home to Nebraska with your family, I'm coming with you. Come on, y'all got to find a new pastor. I'm gone. I'm gone. That's my girl. Always perseveres. Love is not a feeling, it's an action. Number two is this. There's another lie. The enemy gets people to believe, singles and gays, married people, and that is this. Marriage is for my happiness. It's for my happiness. And people really believe that. You hear people say things like, I'm not going to stay in this marriage because I'm not happy. Well, one day, one day, I'm going to get married. I'm going to get married when I can find somebody. Somebody. Who will make me happy well i i'm getting a divorce because i deserve to be happy and and i i'm just not happy anymore and for that, that 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 kind of thinking is a lie from the enemy understand this the primary goal the primary purpose of marriage is not for your happiness but for your holiness let me take it a step further cuz there's a misnomer there's some 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 faulty thinking there's some deception when it comes to the Christian life the primary purpose the primary goal Of the Christian life is not about your happiness; it's about your holiness. But people get saved like, "I'm saved. I'm going to be happy. I know Jesus." (laughs) If you're happy, yeah, you know (laughs) it. If you're happy, but the primary goal of the Christian life is not your happiness; it's your, it's your holiness. And when you truly understand this, it changes everything. See, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, this is just one example, and there are many examples of this in Scripture, that the primary purpose of the Christian life is is for holiness. The Bible says, for those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed, notice that word, conformed to the image of His Son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Here's what is teaching us. When God saves us from our sins, his primary goal for our lives is to conform us into the image of his Son, Jesus Christ. We get saved, and those who God predestined for salvation, he did it for them to be conformed into the image of his Son. Not happiness, but holiness. Every day when you get out of bed, you know what you all to think? Today when I get out of bed, you know what today is all about? Today is all about me becoming more like Jesus. The reason I'm saved is to be conformed to the image of his son. You see, when you understand that, you understand what your career, some of you think, well, I got my career. My career is about me making a lot of money and me being happy. No, 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 no. Uh, That's a part of it, but listen, can I tell you what what your, your career really is about? The primary goal, the primary purpose of your career is for you to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Is for your holiness. You say, well, the reason I got friends is for them to make me happy. No, 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 no. You see, the primary purpose, the primary goal of friendship is for you to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Not happiness, but holiness. Well, the reason I'm getting my education, I'm in, I'm in junior high right now. I'm going to school in high school. Number one, because my mom and daddy make me. I get that. But the reason I go to school and the reason I'm I'm in college and the reason I get my master's degree and my doctor's degree, some of you think it's because I want to be happy. But no, 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 no. The reason God has you there is for you to be holy. The reason you have kids and you think, well, I've had these kids and my kids are going to make me happy. And one of the reasons Tiffany and I, we have four kids because we know one of them is going to make it and that's our retirement plan. (laughs) Come on, the odds are good. And we're my ha- no, 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 no. Your kids are not for happiness, they're for your holiness. And the reason when you got married, it's not going the way you want it to go. Because you thought the primary goal of marriage was for your happiness. And for the Christian, the primary goal is for your holiness. And friends, happiness is a byproduct of holiness. Oh, happiness is achievable. It's attainable, but it's only attainable in marriage by doing marriage according to God's plan. And happiness will be a byproduct of holiness. And when you understand this, it changes everything. Not happiness, but holiness. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. The context of this portion of Scripture is marriage. I encourage you to read the entire portion of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 5. But let me just read an excerpt to you here out of the Word of God. It says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. And here's what the Bible does. The Bible compares the husband and wife relationships to the relationship with with Christ and the church. That this is the one relationship that God compares to the relationship with Christ and the church. And that's the marriage relationship, the covenant between a husband and a wife. And he compares it to Christ and the church. And he says, just as Christ loved the church, he gave himself up for her. Verse 26, he says, to make her holy. Make her holy? I thought it was to make the church happy. No, no, no. He did this to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or, or, or any other blemish to conform to the image of Jesus. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. And, and the Bible says this. That's the marriage relationship. It's like the relationship with Christ and the church. He he gave his life to make the church holy, to conform the church into his image. And when a husband and wife get married, listen, yes, yes, happiness can happen, but the primary goal is holiness. And out of holiness will come happiness. And it's following God's plan for marriage. And the only way you'll really have a happy marriage is when you understand the enemy's lied to you. This whole thing's not about my happiness. It's about being more like Jesus. Number three is this. Number three is this. There's a, a third marriage lie, and that is, if we really loved each other, we wouldn't fight. For some of your parentheses, parentheses, parentheses uh, all the time. If we really loved each other, we wouldn't fight. And people, they believe that. We wouldn't fight all the time. Why are we always fighting? We've been fighting about the same stuff for years. I mean, if we were really made for each other, like a hand in glove, we wouldn't be going through all this mess. All the married people say, the devil is a (laughs) liar. Here's what Paul says. This will encourage your heart today. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 28, he says, but if you do marry, you have not sinned. It's a good thing. You have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will, notice that word, will face, notice the next word, many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. If you're supposed to stay single and honor God and live a single life and stay celibate and live for the Lord Jesus Christ, honor Him, that's awesome. But if you choose to get married, understand this. Those who get married will face many troubles in this life. Yeah, that, that's true. When two people become one, there'll be, there'll be trouble. A week and a half ago, one of my kids Got a stomach bug. And it was horrible. Started throwing up. Having diarrhea, throwing up. And, you know, I thought, this is horrible. Lord touch my baby. Throwing up, just let, just going. I'm like, man, this is horrible. And then the next thing you know, another one of my kids catches the stomach bug. When I'm talking about throwing up, I'm talking about some serious stuff. I'm talking about crying and throwing up and diarrhea and then throwing up so much, nothing else is coming out dry heaving. How I many know dry heaving is the worst? Like, ah, ah, nothing's coming out. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> Lord, touch my children. Touch them. And I'm kind of one of those, I just kind of stay away. I'm just, I'm weak. I'm weak. <laughs> I don't do hospitals good, I don't do nothing like that good. I walk in a hospital and somebody, I'm trying to see somebody, I will pass out. I'll be like, oh, just that's, pretty, I, that's happening. I just, I don't do that throw up. I just, ah, I, I just, I don't do that stuff. I get weak. <laughs> Next thing I know, a third kid. <laughs> They're missing school. It's a 24-hour bug. And they get up after 24 hours. They're weak. They've thrown up. They're almost dehydrated. I'm thinking, Lord Jesus, keep that away from me. (laughs) Keep it away. Keep it away. You know me. You know your pastor. I'm a germaphobe. I was sanitizing it up. I had sanitizer everywhere. I'm like, who used that cover? I'm not using that cover. Let me know when it's clean. I'm not using that cover. They sat there. I'm not sitting there. They sat there on the floor. They threw up there. I will not sit there. No. Not not even walking by. it. Next thing I know, Tiffany get sick. She's throwing up, sick, diarrhea, all of it. And I start praying to the Lord. Lord, here's my prayer. Lord, please let Tiffany sleep on the couch. Please speak to her heart, Jesus. I got to go to work, Lord. I can't get sick please Lord I'm sanitizing it up four out of the six family members are sick me and one other son we're holding strong for the Lord we're living right we're living right we gotta live clean clean lives the rest of you weaklings are sick oh, God touch them Jesus touch them it was Thursday a week ago it all stopped sickness was gone Everybody's happy. I'm still a little germaphobe. Friday, I'm still using extra sanitizer. Everything I touch is just... <laughs> I'm not going to get sick, you know. Friday has gone by. Saturday, ooh, it's good, all right. Saturday, I'm a little bit, little, bit, little bit more relaxed. Not all the way, just a little bit. Then comes Sunday. Last Sunday was good. I'm like, okay, it's good. Everything's great. Man, we, Man, this thing's gone. It is gone. I'm good. I get a little bit more relaxed. And then Monday comes... I get home late Monday night from a meeting. I'm thinking, "It's good, man, this thing had not touched anybody since Sunday. I plop down the couch, you know, instead of going, hey, has this blanket been washed, has this been washed? You know, I'm like, it's good, it's good, it's clean, gone. I grab a blanket, I throw it on. I'm eating pecans, I'm throwing them down. Life's good, 10 o'clock at night. It's, it's good. Went to bed Monday night, four o'clock in the morning. I woke up, <laughs> I'll get to the bathroom I'm dizzy I'm sitting down in the toilet Oh a diarrhea oh I get off the toilet. I scream to Tiffany. I'm not embellishing the story. This is true. I say, Tiffany, I'm gonna pass out. I'm gonna pass out. I walk into the bedroom. Tiffany jumps out of bed. I fall. <laughs> Tiffany catches me. I fall on the floor. <laughs> ah, Tiffany, I'm gonna go up. I'm gonna go up. <laughs> Tiffany's light. My carpet. She runs in the kitchen. <laughs> runs in the kitchen. She sprints back and throws a bowl in front of me. I'm laying on the floor. I said, Tiffany, get some baking soda. Your daddy said that would work. Tiffany goes, give me some baking soda. I take that baking soda. It didn't work. I threw up. I was in bed all day until 3 o'clock. I never had this happen before. It was coming out of both ends at the same time. I'm on a toilet. I lose three pounds in one day. All because I got a family. Trouble. Lord, I got married. Amen. (laughs) Sometimes it's like that with finances. Blah! Sometimes it's like that raising kids. Blah! Sometimes it's like that when you're dealing with problems with family and in-laws and ex-laws. Blah! (laughs) Trouble. It's not pretty. It's ugly. You know the problem in marriage and family? is oftentimes we respond the wrong way to trouble. Trouble's going to happen. It's a part of life. It's a part of marriage. It's a part of family. And you know the first wrong way we respond to trouble is we respond my way. And people think it's got to be my way or the highway. I'm going to be right. I'm going to be right. And how many know in marriage you can be right and still be wrong? A second wrong way to respond in marriage is no way, and this person runs away from conflict. This person, they just want to pretend like it doesn't exist. I know we had issues last night, but this morning, we're just going to act like it doesn't exist. No way. The third wrong way to respond to, to trouble, to problems, to dilemmas in marriage is your way. And this person says, you're right, I'm wrong. I'm great with that. Whatever you want is fine with me. Whatever makes you happy. Then the fourth way to respond, the wrong way, is halfway. And this person begins to talk about the problem, but they never resolve it. They get sidetracked. They get angry. They get distracted, and they never deal with the problem. You see, there's... Several wrong ways, my way, no way, your way, halfway, but the right way to deal with conflict is God's way. Is God's way. Problems, disagreements, arguments will happen in marriage. And if you're going to handle them in a God-honoring way, you must apply biblical principles to resolve the issues. Here's what I want to do just for a few moments. I want to share with you some biblical principles about resolving conflict. First is this. Just jot these down if you're taking notes. Just jot these down. Number one is this. Talk about the problem. Talk about the problem. Notice I didn't say talk about the person. Talk about the problem. Ephesians 4 verse 25 says, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully. To his neighbor, speak truthfully. Talk about the issue. Speak truthfully. Quit hiding, hiding, and covering it. Speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Talk about the problem. Number two, we're just looking at some principles because so many people handle conflict and they think, "I'm not going to fight." No, no. Listen, disagreements are part of life. They're part of every relationship, even the marriage. And you have to know how to respond biblically. Number two is this: don't get an attitude. Don't get an attitude. Ephesians 4, verse 26 says, In your anger, do not sin. Don't lose your cool. Don't blow a fuse. Don't scream and yell. Don't act like a fool. Don't get an attitude. But Pastor, I just can't do that. Well, you can do it your way. But what you have to understand is that there is a, a God way, a biblical way. And don't get an attitude. Number three is this. Talk about the problem quickly. Talk about the problem quickly. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Ephesians 4.26, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Deal with it quickly. And so many marriage problems, they just get bigger and bigger and bigger because we don't deal with them quickly. Some of you are fighting things and dealing with things. From weeks ago, months ago, years ago that have never been resolved and tension has just mounted and and there's been more separation and disconnect because you've never dealt with the problem. And the Bible says deal with it quickly. We're just looking at biblical principles. Pastor, I'm not going to do that. I'm not bringing that stuff up. You can do it your way. But you have to understand there are some biblical solutions to resolving conflict. Number four is this. Listen, listen, listen. James 1 verse 19 says, my dear brothers, take note of this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, quick to listen. You know, one of the things we all have to do is learn to listen to our spouse. I mean, really listen, not not listen and think at the same time about our response back, but really listen to what they're going through, what they're facing, slow to speak, instead of just always having to say something. You see, to be biblical, we've got to get our mind in gear before we get our mouth in gear. We've got to learn to listen, 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 listen. Number five is this, watch your words. Watch your words. We're looking at these biblical principles to resolving conflict. Watch your words. Ephesians 4 verse 29 says this, Do not use foul or abusive language. Dropping four-letter words in your relationship is not helpful, and it's not biblical. Using abusive language, being abusive is not biblical. Well, Pastor, that's just the way that I know to do it. It's not biblical. It will not help. It will not help. Let everything you say be good and helpful. Be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Be good. Everything, everything you say be good and helpful. Now, understand this. When you're resolving conflict and you're speaking truth with the right tone, with the right heart, sometimes when you speak the truth, it's hurtful. But hurtful can be helpful as long as you're speaking with the right tone, with the right motive, with the right reason, but you're being truthful. And so I don't want you to misunderstand being truthful with the right tone and attitude sometimes can be hurtful, but it ends up being helpful. And the Bible says in verse 30, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness. That's what we have to do in relationships, in marriage. Get rid of bitterness, rage. Come on, get rid of the rage. Get rid of anger. Get rid of harsh words and slander as well as all types of evil behavior. Verse 32, instead of being bitter, hostile, rage, anger, harsh, be kind to each other. Wow. Wow. Could this revolutionize a marriage? Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. There are biblical principles to resolving conflict and to have a God-honoring marriage. Yes, there will be fights. There will be tension. But if we can handle them in a God-honoring way, we can have a strong Thriving, God-honoring marriage. Number four is this. There's a fourth lie that I want you to hear today and expose it. And the fourth lie is this. Our relationship will, will miraculously improve. It will miraculously improve. And this is one of the biggest lies that our spiritual enemy gets married couples to believe. Married couples start to believe, well, you know what? Our marriage will just somehow get better. Somehow things are just going to improve. Somehow, somehow we haven't talked in five years, except for the weather and the kids, but somehow we're just going to start communicating. It's just going to happen. So somehow all the hurt and pain in in our marriage just will miraculously disappear. It's just going to disappear. Somehow all the mistrust that has been in our marriage for years, somehow it's just going to all go away. I mean, someday, someday our our romance will catch on fire again. Just someday it's just going to happen somehow our marriage will supernaturally go from bad to good. I mean, just somehow it's going to happen. And that is just a lie from the enemy. The Bible says in Revelations chapter 2, this is once again the relationship between Christ and the church, which is, is a, a mirror, a picture of a relationship between the husband and wife. He says this to his church, Jesus, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love You had, at first, you've forsaken your first love. And that happens, as Christians, we can begin to forsake our first love. And oftentimes, it's not intentionally. We start to drift from God. And that happens oftentimes in marriage. Life just gets busy. We start pursuing career. We start pursuing raising kids and friends and hobbies and grandkids. And married people begin to drift. They stop investing. They stop doing what they used to do to win their spouse over. They, they stop it. And the Bible says this in verse five consider how far you have fallen. Remember, remember when you used to be on fire for God. Remember how far you have fallen. Remember when you used to serve God wholeheartedly. Remember when you first started dating. Remember how you used to talk on the phone all the time. Remember how you wanted to spend every waking moment together. You're like, you on break right now, girl? Oh, I'm coming. I'm coming. You used to go see her? Run to go see her? Remember how you used to go on a date and hang out and you couldn't wait? Remember? Remember how you used to talk about everything for hours. Remember how you fallen. And then he says this, repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Do the things you did at first. Would you begin to talk again? I'm not talking about talk, but really talk. I'm talking about talk-talk, about real stuff, about what you're feeling, and what you're going through, and the pain, and the talk-talk. Sir, would you take her on a date again? Would you surprise, sir, take on a date again? Would you start opening the, the door for her again? Now, you go into places now, you just walk in, door closed. You, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, come on. <laughs> no, like, would you open it for, let her walk through? Would you open the car door for her again? Do it today. Well, Pastor, if I do it today, she she, she knows I'm doing it just because you said it. Well, that's all right. (laughs) Feelings follow, follow actions. Come on, would you plan a trip together overnight? Just get away. Go somewhere. Just go. Drive an hour away, 30 minutes away. Drive to the other side of the city and get a hotel and just hang out. Come on, would you do the things you did at first? Tomorrow. All week, would you just text her, text him? I love you. I'm thinking about you. I'm so tired because I've been thinking about you all day long. You're running (laughs) through my mind. Come on, would you do what you used to do? Come on, would you? Ma'am, ma'am, could you cook a dinner for him? At least once a month, one. one. No, I'm just saying. I know the microwave works, but would you surprise him with some dinner? some candles lit up, would you do what you used to do? Come on, come on, ma'am, would you go to bed without your rollers, take your moo-moo off? Would you do what you used to do? The Bible says, repent and do the things you did at first. Would you go to a marriage conference that we're having this Friday and Saturday? The pastor, that thing costs money. I'm not spending no money on my marriage. <laughs> that might be the issue. Our marriage will just somehow get better. No one.